Welcome to What's Your Story Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Story. On this pod, I sit down with people of color leaders to understand how they've been able to use their superpowers to make an impact on our world. And I do it one story at a time. Today's guest is Ryan Robertson, Global Head of Brand Marketing at Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. I think you'll really enjoy this discussion because Ryan gives some great advice for looking at our past, looking at where we are today, and also thinking about the future. He talked a lot about the role that growing up in Memphis played in his trajectory and how he pulled from the richness of the culture and the the music, but also learning and seeing the black leaders that surrounded him and how that really gave him the confidence to go into his journey as he built out his career. He also touches on, as he gained leadership positions, how he was able and, and felt compelled to hold his organizations accountable when it came to hiring and it came to how they were judging themselves on diversity. And then lastly, he touches on how we all should think about our next move and what are the things that we should take into consideration and also realizing that you don't know if it's going to be a good move until you make it and allowing that to take you forward and realizing that you also have the opportunity to make another move. So with that, let's get on to his story. Okay, so today's guest is a marketing innovator who has, he's been recognized with a number of accolades such as at ages 40 under 40. And to go back, he and I both started our careers out in the natty back at PNG. So I'm looking forward to both catching up and, and hearing his story and sharing with all of you. So I'm going to welcome Ryan Robertson to the show. Hey, what's going on, Matt? Thank you, brother, for having me. Nah, thank you for taking the time. It's, it's been too long, but I'm glad we we're able to get on, at least get on the mic and, uh, you know, catch up this way. It's been so, way too long. I was, look, I, I was expecting you to say nasty, Natty. Come on, man. Don't be, trying, <laughs> don't be trying to clean it up and be all professional. Well, I'm not sure. Is it, is it still nasty, Natty? I mean, it's been, a, it's been too many years since I've been back, so I wasn't sure if that ref- reference would still apply. Look, I, I, I have, it's been a while since I've been back too, but it's going to always be the nasty day. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So just to help the listeners out a little bit, can you share you know, a story about your background, a little bit about how you grew up and maybe give a glimpse into what Little Ryan was like? Oh, little Ryan. Oh, that's funny. So, uh, so I grew up, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. So grew up in the dirty South, very much like a very strong kind of family, family unit and very close, close knit family. Like I have, I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest of three. So I have an older brother and an older sister, but uh, like growing up, I, I just remember like my family was all, my parents were always big on, on kind of giving us exposure at a young age and, and traveling and things like that. So I remember like <clears throat> one of my fondest memories growing up is like, Every summer we would we would do a a, vac- a family vacation to to uh, to a different place and just again for the for the purpose or objective of exposing exposing us at a young age helping us see diff- have different experiences see different ways of life meet different people and it wasn't just my immediate family it was actually uh, my grandparents as well so so it was it was very very kind of I mean I had a very southern upbringing Christian religious going to church all the time singing in the choir all that stuff but young Ryan was uh, was pretty cu- I like to say curious my parents would probably say bad my parents and siblings would probably say bad um, <laughs> But uh, but I, I got into a lot of stuff, right? I was I was pretty mischievous, and and I was I was the the type that that kind of I was the send out, right? So my older brother and sister would would have me do stuff, or I dare you to do this, knowing that I would get in trouble, 
and my crazy ass would go and do it for real, right? So <laughs> I was always the, I was the uh, the butt of all the jokes, and and I'm the one that 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 they could send out to do whatever and and get in trouble, right? So that was what Lil Brian was like. I think it was it was it was born from curiosity though, which is which is kind of carried through my lifetime, which is how I got into marketing eventually. But but yeah, man, that's that's kind of that's where I'm from, and that that was like. I think the the whole family tie and 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 kind of close knit things doing close knit things with my family was was really a, a big part of my upbringing, man. Yeah, that's it's dope. You you mentioned that it was not only your your immediate family, you know, your your siblings and your parents, but also have your grandparents there too, because it definitely gives you that view into where you came from and and having that sense of pride in the family unit. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That was yeah. I mean, I, that, that's extended family, but my grandparents were like on both sides, my mom and dad's side. Actually, it was. It was both of my grandparents on my father's side and then my grandma on my mom's side because my, my maternal grandfather passed away before I was born. But yeah, I mean, they were they were part of our of our family unit, kind of our uh, core family unit. You know what I'm saying? So they weren't extended family. It was like they were immediate family as well. Yeah, definitely. So so growing up, did you did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you when you eventually became an adult and went into the workforce? Yeah, I had an idea. It was quite different from what I actually <laughs> what I actually became. Um, growing up, I have all I always wanted to be a a pediatrician, which was interesting. And like, I don't remember. I, I remember wanting to be one since I can remember. My parents will tell you that like since three years old, I, I was saying that I wanted to be a pediatrician. I think it was it was because of kind of like the, I guess growing up, like the, you know, kids are, are typically scared of the doctor, right? I used to enjoy doctor visits. And, and I think it's because like, you know, in the waiting room, you got little toys and you're playing and stuff. And, and I remember our pediatrician was a super nice guy. And so like very personable. And and, and so I think that had an impression on me. But yeah, I, I, I always growing up wanted to be a pediatrician. And like even in even in college, I was a I was a marketing and pre-med major because my my objective was to actually go to go to a med school after undergrad. But brother, after my, my junior year, when I took that MCAT, and <laughs> I saw those scores and I said, OK, I need to take this again. And I was like, eh, that made me it made me reconsider because I was like, look, I, I well, look. I I got good enough scores to get into med school. Probably not the med schools I would have wanted to go to, but I think that maybe it, it, I reconsidered. Like, yo, so if I do this business thing, I can start making money immediately out of school. Yeah. If I do this medical school thing, it'll be another seven, eight years before I really start making money. And and I feel like the reality hit me, and I was like, yeah, you know what? Let's do this business thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That that's funny because I'm, I'm curious. You know, you you mentioned growing up in the South, have a, a really true Southern upbringing. How do you think that influenced your decisions making and how you looked at that career choice as you got to that kind of pivotal point of you know, am I going to go left or right? Yeah, I think being from growing up in Memphis, it, it was so interesting because I saw so many great examples of successful Black people um, uh, in Memphis growing up, and, and especially like in church. I went to uh, like my church growing up. My parents still go there. It's, it's the oldest Black church in Memphis. And so there were, you had a lot of very successful like 
black adults doing like doing really great things, right? There were doctors and bankers and entrepreneurs and teachers and principals and stuff. And this was back in the eighties, you know what I'm saying? Right. And these were people that achieved this at a time, I mean, even well before the eighties, right. At a time where, where, where our society was even less welcoming than they are, than they are now with people that look like us. Right. So I think I had a lot of, a lot of kind of, I got a lot of inspiration from what I saw in Memphis and those adults and, and the fact that like, I think that, that kind of, it, it wasn't, that I, I didn't realize this was happening, but that set the seed in me to say, hey, you could, you could really be anything and do anything because I saw great examples of that from where I was from. Yeah. I, I mean, it, the, the brands you've, been a part of and, and worked on and helped accelerate, just speak to that because, you know, transitioning to your professional life, you've worked with the who's who of, of global brands across many categories. And what I would refer to as heavyweights, P&G, Unilever, Coke, Diageo, and now you're at uh, Popeye's. And so I'm curious that... <laughs> I'm curious though, how did you stay so close across those brands to this kind of combination? You know, as I was looking at your resume, like there's always this combination of culture and innovation. And, and I'm curious how that upbringing and how your experiences prepared you to, to like kind of always be close to both of those. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a great question, man. A great observation. So I again, like I feel like it, every question comes back to Memphis, but it, it, Memphis is such a big part of who I am, right? And it helped to shape who I am. And I think Memphis is a city that's rich in kind of culture and, and, and music, right? You think about like the birthplace of blues and you think about rock and roll and, and gospel and, mm-hmm. uh, and all those influences. But it's, it's, a, it's a place that's rich in kind of that grid and, and also rich in, in music and culture. And, and like when I was younger, like my dad is very musical, right? He used to, I don't know if you know Stax Records back in the day, but that's the label that like the, the uh, staple singers and Isaac Hayes and folks were on. So he used to work there at Stax and, uh, and he's very musical. So I had a very musical upbringing. And so I've always loved kind of music and culture and entertainment, right? And, and I think that. Earlier on in my career, I was like brands that I worked on. So let's think about like P&G, where I worked on Metamucil and Fibrosure or or at Unilever, I worked on Tresemme. Like those were brands that were less in the cultural space more. I mean, I was looking at it more so from kind of start out getting really strong foundational experiences, but I always wanted to be on brands and, and, and leading, leading brands that actually affected and impacted culture. Right. And so I feel because, because of my, my strong love for that. And so I, I feel like I took those opportunities and those experiences to dabble a little bit in, you know what I'm saying? Like with, with Tresemme, for example, that was that was the time that we actually struck a partnership with Project Runway. Again, that's not music, but it's culture, right? And so I tried to even on those brands that were not lifestyle brands, I tried to integrate some of that, some of that that cultural piece into those brands. And then I think it, it took off much more when I when I went to work for brands like Vitamin Water at Coke and Ciroc at Diageo, right? Those are much more lifestyle focused things, but. I did have a chance to cut my teeth even earlier on in my in my career on brands that weren't necessarily like lifestyle brands, but I found ways. I tried to carve out ways, Matt, you know, to 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 try to integrate some some culture and make them a bit more culturally relevant um, gotcha. to consumers. And and as you as you've done that, do you do you feel any you know as a black man, do you feel any pressure to represent culture as you've gone through these roles? It, it, <laughs> 
It's an interesting, that's a, that's a very interesting question. I feel like, yeah, and the answer is yes, absolutely. And, and I think in those walls, I always say, I mean, I'm very, very clear with folks because I mean, they, because you are a black face in the room, they are going to look at you, you know what I'm saying? As the representative of the community, as the representative of culture. And I, and I'm just open and honest. I always say, look, I'm not the voice of the community. Like I will be brutally honest in discussions where we're talking about black and brown communities. And I will give my point of view. I will do whatever, whatever I feel is necessary to keep kind of the brand out of hot water with communities and, and making sure that we are meaningfully engaging them. But. I always, I, I'm pretty, pretty clear and vocal that I'm not the voice of the community, right? So like, I think there is pressure there and I think there's always going to be pressure there. That's just, I, I think that's corporate America until, until we get much more black and brown faces in corporate America, which is, which we desperately need. I think that's going to be the case. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, no, totally. And it, it's funny how you wouldn't do that with, you know, any other, you wouldn't go to, you know, somebody that's left-handed and say, can you speak on behalf of all left-handed people? Tell us, and tell us how we should address this. And so I 100% agree that it's that, that representation is important, which is, it was actually another good pivot because I know one of the things you've gotten a lot of opportunities to speak on is just advocating for the diversity in teams. And so, you know, how, how have you, approach that? How have you been able to be successful in, in making teams more diverse? And, and why do you think that's important? Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll tackle the, the latter part of the question first. I think it's important just because I feel like diverse perspectives leads to much better outcomes, right? When, 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 people, are, when people are bringing a range of perspectives and ideas and thoughts from, from kind of different experiences that always makes things more richer, always makes ideas better. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a strong business case for diversity. It's the right thing to do because that's what the, the world is diverse, right? And, and, and I think, I mean, when, when you think about brands, I mean, the, the objective is to, is to be as representative of the, of the community that supports you, the consumer group or the community that supports you as possible. So I, th- I think that's why it's important. But for me, I mean, I think, I think the places that I've been successful in terms of bringing more diversity into teams is is really a result of of not accepting what I call this this a southern southern country phrase not accepting the the okie doke if you will like basically the excuses from the organization yeah. right and I think I mean there there have been a couple of examples I'll give you an example of I won't say the company but I was actually interviewing. It wasn't a role on my team. It was it was like two open roles on different teams, and they they wanted me to serve on the interview panels. And we had probably seen, I don't know, maybe at this point we had probably seen maybe fourteen or fifteen candidates, and no candidate that we had seen for either role was was black. And so I literally told HR, I said HR and the and the my colleagues who were the hiring managers for those specific roles, I said I will not. I refuse to sit in a single uh, additional interview without seeing a black candidate, without us bringing a black candidate in. So HR, you find, and, and they give you the excuses like, oh, well, we, we can't find, we can't find anybody or we, 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 these are the people that we found with the experiences. And I, I literally put my foot down. I'm like, well, I'm not sitting in another interview until we, until we see some black candidates. And, and, and I think obviously they got the, they got the idea and the next several were black candidates. Oh, so you found them that quickly. Okay. So where were they before? You know what I'm saying? And so I feel like it is, it is like 
it's it's actions like that that I feel like we as uh, black and brown folks in organizations have to, you know what I'm saying, stand firm in what we believe because otherwise it's just like, oh, it's a nice to have and they don't take it seriously. And so I, I think something like that is an example of, of where I was comfortable enough to say, look, you do what you want. You can hire who you want, but who won't be in the interview process is me until we yeah. see some diverse candidates. You know what I'm saying? No, no that, that, that's a one. I, I love the example because I think a lot of times uh, you have conversations where everyone will agree that diversity is important. Everyone will agree we should look at diverse candidate pools and everyone will agree that we have a representation issue. But how many people are willing to do what you did and literally put their foot down and also put your put your you know capital at risk because you had to be confident in your role in the organization to be able to say, look, I'm I'm not going to be a part of this if this is how you're going to continue to go forward. And I think a lot of times we don't realize the the privilege we've gained by being a part of these organizations, how we can actually spread that out and use it to help someone else get in that door. Because I because had had you not done that, who knows what they would have done or how they would have gone down the process without you speaking up. Exactly. And you know what's interesting? is people all of a sudden find their moral compass when something like that happens, right? So then when I stood up, then the 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 hiring managers for these roles that were in this process that said nothing were like, oh yeah, you're right. We need to bring diverse candidates. No, yeah. This, yeah. these have been your roles all along on your teams. Why, why am I the one that had to stand up? And, and why are you all of a sudden finding your moral compass after I'm the one that said, that said this is unacceptable, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, man. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I totally agree with what you said. Like, like we have to use kind of the, the voice and the power that we have to, to take those stances and, and try to make a difference as best we can. Yeah, definitely. So from, from diverse teams, I want to go to diverse locations. So, you know, we both started careers in, in the Nasty Natty, as you've uh, hey, so, aptly, so aptly reminded me. But we moved on to other, I'll, I'll say, bigger cities through, through your journey and, and obviously uh, through my own. I'm curious, what, what have you taken away from living in some of those places like New York and Miami and, and et cetera? Um, well, I've taken away the fact that I hate the cold and yes, <laughs> Chicago specifically is not a place for me. <laughs> it's ridiculously cold nine months out of the year. I love the ocean. I love temperate climates year round. Miami is a uh, it's perfect. No, but I, I, I think I think it for me it is it's really about like I feel like those different living in different kind of geographical areas. For me it, it, it goes back to kind of what I was saying of um my story when I was younger and, and and my parents actually liked to get us exposure by taking us on vacations. Like it's this it's a it's the same concept, right? Like living in different places gives me exposure to different people. I think I've like my network has been severely expanded because I've been willing to kind of uh, go to different places and, and experience different ways of living. I mean my takeaway is my, my ultimate takeaway from that is I feel like I am a person that is much more grounded in garnering different experiences, both professionally and um, personally. And that has allowed me to do that versus kind of grounding myself in one place. Like I can't, I can't fathom being living in one city for 20, 30 years. You know what I'm saying? Because I think there's so much more to experience and see and do. Like I, I just moved uh, about six months ago from New York to Miami. New York I, was the, the place that I've lived the longest 
outside of Memphis growing up, right? I lived in New York almost 10 years. And New York was a place that I thought that I would be for like three or four years, right? But but I think that for me, it is, again, it's about garnering different experiences, seeing different things, making different connections with different people. And that's what I've enjoyed about kind of moving to different cities uh, with different professional experiences. Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of speaks to, you, you said earlier, you were curious, you know, as a, as a little Ryan and, and get probably got you into some trouble, but having that curiosity carried through to how you're actually the, the environment you're in, the experiences you're collecting is, is also probably benefited you as well. So I want to use that to, to switch to the brand of Ryan for a little bit. And if you were to, you know, speak to your personal mission or kind of how do you use your North Star for making decisions like that, like, you know, picking up and moving from New York to Miami or or moving into a new role or, you know, joining a new organization, leaving a certain category where you've obviously built expertise. How do you know it's the right decision? Like what what, what are the tools that you use both personally and also professionally? Um, The answer is you don't. You don't know that it's the right decision. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. and and I think that's the beauty of it. Honestly, it sounds it sounds weird and crazy, but that is the beauty of it. Like, you make a decision with the with the best information you have at the time, right? So, as I go into any role or or consider any new opportunity professionally, I always like to say, hey, strategically, what do you want the outcome of this to be at the end, right? Mm-hmm. So, what is I go in understanding or trying to be very very clear on what I want out of it, right? And so I think that the, the reality is you don't know that it's the right decision, but I think you make the best decision uh, with the information you have at the time. And, and the, the, the beauty of it, Matt, is you make this decision. If it's the wrong decision, then you make another decision. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's, 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 not that, it's not that hard. And I feel like a lot of people and I've had this whole this conversation with uh, a lot of my friends, actually, one of my best friends just recently where kind of it's like an opportunity arises and and he was interested in it. He was like, but I don't know, like, I don't know if it's the right decision. And I'm like, look, you won't know until you make it. You know what I'm saying? And if it's if it's not the right decision, then you you have full power to make another one. And that's how I've lived kind of my life and and have managed my career. And honestly, one or two steps were not the right decisions for me, but I made another decision. You know what I'm saying? And I think it is those things, those decisions combined have put me to the place where I am now, which is, I think is where I'm supposed to be right now. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, that's what, I mean, that's, it's not a playbook or anything and it's not, it's not rocket science, but that's what I say. You, you don't, you don't know if it's the right decision, but if it's not, then you, you have full authority to make a different one. So do you have a, like a place you're trying to get to, or are you taking it experience by experience? No, I, I have an ultimate place that that I that I'm trying to get to in my mind, but that changes, bro. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like the the place that I want to get to now is different from the place that that I thought I wanted to get to two years ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah. And and I, and I think I think that that's fine because it's that's it's human nature to kind of evolve and change and adapt and shift as you go along. So so yeah, I I, I do have a place that I want to get to now, and I think again, I, I think it's I look at I look at career moves as chess, right? So like you can honestly go into a professional move understanding that it's short term for you if it does something strategically that you needed to accomplish. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and that's really how I, that's how I look at opportunities and that's how I assess the right opportunities for me. Yeah. There's something in that, that I, I think a lot of times it is human nature to evolve, but it's not human nature to give ourselves the flexibility to know it's okay. 
And I, and I think sometimes like, you know, we hold firm to when I was, you know, 22, I said, I want to do this. When I was 30, I said, I want to do this. Now I'm in my forties. What am I going to do? And like my fifties are this, you, you start to get into these head games with your own self and you don't give yourself the understanding to know that like to your earlier point, like I have more data now so I can make a better decision as opposed to what I thought 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, et cetera. And so I, I think it's important that we recognize that through that evolution, we can change the destination. It doesn't always have to be the thing you signed up for originally. A hundred percent. It doesn't it doesn't even have to be the, the thing you signed up for a year ago, bro. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I I'm a firm believer that we all have superpowers. And, you know, it's something that we do just naturally on our own. And it may not feel special to us because it just comes natural. But to others, it's like we can, you know, we can help them, we can solve problems, we can, you know, move mountains if, if need be. So I'm curious, what, what would be your superpower? Hmm, that's a good one. That's a good one. I would say that my my superpower is like the power of connection and like authentic relationships. I think that it is just in terms of kind of my my nature. I I I like people and I and I like to to connect with people in in kind of very genuine ways and and I think that even like my whole belief in terms of how I think about people and how I think about interactions with people is literally everybody. everybody's important. There's no one person more important than the next, right? So I remember in one of my, um, at one company I was at, one of my uh, bosses was, was telling me, we were in a review and one of my bosses was telling me like, it's so interesting how you have such strong relationships with everybody and how you treat the receptionist the same way that you treat the CMO. You know what I'm saying? And like have have a similar kind of interaction with, with them. And, and, and and it's interesting because I like to ask questions. I, I like to remember things that people tell me, right? Like even with the, so the, for example, the, the receptionist, if she tells me, oh, I'm excited about going on a vacation with my kids in two weeks to Hawaii, right? I will literally, when I see her four weeks later back in the office, hey, how was that vacation? Did y'all have a good time? How was Hawaii? Like, I remember that kind of stuff because I think that that people like, I mean, it, it's human nature. We all like to feel important and we all like to feel that that um, kind of people care. And so I, I take that seriously. And so I feel just the, I feel like my superpower is, is really connecting with people and doing, and doing things like that. And even another example, like if somebody um, talks about their kids or at work or something and they mention them, I literally, this is, this is kind of ridiculous. But I literally will put in my notes in my phone the names of their kids so that next time I see them, I can address I can ask about the kids by name. Uh, But it's little small things like that that people may think are over the top. But but it's really for me, it's 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 about kind of that connection and, and relationships. Yeah, it's it's funny you hit on something because I believe it's the the Maya Angelou quote that you know people are going to forget what you said, they're going to forget what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. feel. Love that quote. That's one of my favorites. And I feel like that's the that's the part that that's where true connections are made because I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was the wrong thing. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna have days where I'm not on it, but all those interactions, like as long as I can show up authentic and I can show up as the way I want to be connecting with you, mm-hmm. I can control that. And, and and that's the thing that, you know, you can take into consideration. It is a small things, you know, remembering 
you know, one, remembering someone has children, two, remembering that their names and, you know, what they're doing with them and all of a sudden it's just like, it takes relationships to the next level. So it, it may, to you, it may sound silly or it may sound like extra, but I, I feel like that's truly how you're able to connect with people. And, you know, one, one of my firm beliefs is that if we're able to connect with people, like that's the ground, that's the ground floor for empathy. And that's the one thing I think we we definitely need more of in this world right now is because everyone's kind of in their own, literally in their own home, and we're all not connecting the way we used to. And so it's like, we got to find ways to to have that connection and that that empathy, which is, which is important. I love that quote. That I, I never knew who said that quote. So thank you for letting me know that was my answer, Lou. But I, 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 I use that all the time and it, it's so true, right? They're not going to remember what you did or in a professional sense, what you delivered or yep. projects that you were working on or any of that shit. At the end of the day, they're going to remember how you make them feel. And I feel like people gloss over that all the time, especially in a corporate setting, right? That's, that, that's what, that, like, that's legacy, right? That's what people remember about you when you're, you know what I'm saying? When you're, when you've been long removed from the company or the life. Um, so I have a question on that because this, this actually came up in a, another interview I was doing about a week or two ago. And we were talking about, do you feel, and so I'm going to ask the question to you, do you feel your ability to understand how other people feel is directly related to your experience as a black man? And and what I mean by that is because of the way you've had to navigate rooms, the way you've had to navigate corporate structures, the way you've had to navigate education, do you feel like that's innately integrated in you because of that? I feel a thousand percent that is that is integrated and innate to me because of that. And I'll give you a, a, an example. For me, I am always known in organizations or, or companies that I'm in, I am <clears throat> pretty outgoing. Everybody knows like when I walk in the room, I'm always going to speak. I'm always, you know what I'm saying? I'm the optimistic person that is, that's always going to come into something with a, with a very kind of positive attitude. And and that has been, and I've thought about this a, a, a lot, and that is basically, that was something very intentional that I did early on in my career because growing up as a Black man in America, especially in the South, my parents taught me about what you needed to do and how you needed to act and the fact that you, by virtue of what you are and what you look like, have to disarm people in your presence. Like, other people in your presence, right? Because of because of who you are and because you got black skin and you're this black man and you're tall and you're big, like you need to disarm them. And it's such it is so unfortunate that you have to make somebody that you have to make somebody feel comfortable in your presence. But I knew that and I think earlier on early on in my career that is that was like my expression and my way to disarm people, right? I come in, I speak, I I kind of build rapport early on. I'm always, you know what I'm saying? Always yeah. positive when I when I kind of come in somewhere. And that is 100% a result of being a black man in America. Yeah. It's a catch-22 because on, on one side, you're right. It is unfortunate that you have to make others feel comfortable in your presence. But the fact that it it has developed capabilities and skills in you that are transferable that allow you to be better at what you do is, is kind of like, you know, it's the other side of the coin. So mm. it, it's tough to break the two apart because yeah. I can tell you that tax that we carry around can be a burden. You have bad days. There's days you don't want to be the, the the optimist. You don't want to be, you know. Most days you don't want to. Most exactly. days you know that you're walking into some bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> yes, you are exactly right. Exactly. Exactly. 
Um, so I want to, you know, looking back at your career, you obviously got a, got still many places to go, but I'm I'm curious, have you had a mama we made it moment? Um, no, I haven't. Not yet. Not yet. I'm still waiting for that, man. Uh, okay. I feel like the closest I came to that was probably back in in Cincinnati, and that was that was when I when I bought my house in Cincinnati. I feel like I had been at PNG like less than a year. I don't know if you remember, but back then, like I think yep. they gave you a year before yep. like all your all your benefits of like yep. would run uh, out. <laughs> ran out. So I feel like I, I bought a house like eleven months uh, into working for the company. And look, I, I started at PNG right out of undergrad. So like I was maybe 23 when I bought my house. But like, like I feel like that was a, the closest like mama we made it moment because I'm like, look, just out of college, I got a house. Yeah. I'm making money. Like, look, I, I'm making money. I thought I was making money. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> yeah. I, the other thing with PNG, I'm sure you remember this too, bro. The fact that we got paid once a month. Yeah. So yeah. I remember that third week. Yeah. I used to be struggling. I had yeah. I had my little noodles and shit for dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I it's funny because like right before I left, I think they changed that. But my first, my my first paycheck I got, and you know, no nothing kid. You know, my rent was paid. I was like, I could go, you know, flex on you know some new shoes, and I probably you know bought like three or four pair of Jordans or something. And again, you know, that month is longer. Than, than that check was, <laughs> right. and I just remember being like, "Man, what, a, what? How am I supposed to make it to the to the next one?" So you definitely learned that very quickly in <laughs> that money <Yeah>. management. <laughs> I remember your sneaker game was crazy, bro. Back in back in Cincinnati, it was. Well, crazy. I, had, I had to I had to taper it back though because you know you you didn't realize that those things added up and those those incidental expenses like food, <laughs> right? <laughs> that, that you don't account for because you know you you covered the the housing, but the rest. It's hard to get. Exactly. Um, dang. Yeah. So, you know, I will, I will close out and have, have a little bit of fun. So when they turn your life story into a movie, who would you want to play you on the big screen? Um, can I play myself? You know yeah. what I'm I, I, did some, I did some acting back in the day. You know <laughs> I actually... I actually used to, I don't know if, if you ever knew this. I actually did. I did some acting in Cincinnati. I was in several plays there, but I actually used to want to be an actor. Okay. Um, but, and I, and I, I enjoyed it. I do, I do producing now, but like executive producing for like independent yeah. series and, and content now. But, but no, back in the day, I used to, I used to want to be an actor. I, I feel like the reality hit me at some point when I was like, uh, yeah, this starving artist life, I probably didn't want to live. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, 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 uh, I think I, 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 right, right. I'm like, sign me up for this, uh, for this, uh, professional gig, sign yeah. me up for this purchasing manager at Procter and Gamble. But, but yeah, I, I, I will play myself. I'll okay. play myself. Right. Dust, dust off my little acting chops and play myself. Okay. Well, e- even, even tougher question. What song would play in your trailer for that movie? Oh, that's easy. That's easier for me because because I'm a music head. I feel like maybe like Stevie Wonder, uh, "Don't You Worry About a Thing," and I feel like that is just because I I like, like I said before, I'm I'm a pretty kind of optimistic, forward looking guy. Like I rarely rarely am ever anxious or get or get uh, stressed out about things uh, or super worried about stuff. So and plus. Stevie is the greatest. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so another thing I love to ask people 
I'm a huge fan of stories. It's it's why I do the podcast. It's why you know I try to learn as much as I can from from the people that are they bless me with jumping on the on the mic to to share their story. But for you, if you could sit with three people and they they could be with us, they could have passed and hear their story firsthand. Who would be your three? Ooh, all right. So I would say um, Hathaway would be one. That is uh, that's like. My, my favorite artist of all time. And, and he was actually, what, what's so interesting is I never knew who he was. You know what I'm saying? Like he was, he was, he was, he had died before I was born, but like, I am so enamored with his music and the, the emotion and the, you know what I'm saying? Like the, yeah. the feeling, the feeling that all of his music gives, like I would love to understand like what inspired that kind of music and what he was going through as he was, as he, as he was like writing and recording a lot of that stuff. So Dunny Hathaway would be a great one for me. I think Cicely Tyson, rest uh, rest in peace, given she recently passed. I think she was she was a person that <clears throat> obviously like broke broke down so many boundaries and provided so many opportunities, and and literally to the very end was 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 still kind of living and successfully living her craft, and you know what I'm saying, and 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 living out what she wanted to do, and so nothing but respect for her. So I I think that would be another one, and then the third one. Let me. Let I mean, not be so so morbid, and let me think of somebody that's living. Maybe like somebody like Stacey Abrams, because I think one, I think she's just a resilient and brilliant black woman, and and I, it, it was just so so interesting and inspiring how she kind of rechanneled the energy from her loss and, and turned it into something so powerful, and and literally almost single handedly like like was was one of the the reasons of the outcome of the the recent uh, election. So I, I think she's she's done some great stuff and, and still manages to be pretty you know what i'm saying like pretty low-key and and yeah. not many people know about her or her story so i think it'll be interesting to, to know more about her story too yeah no that's a that's a dope three the three that i haven't heard because normally there's a there's like a dropping of you know one or two of the same names but that's definitely okay. a great combo what you, what you hear martin luther king no, you don't hear you don't hear Martin Luther King too often. So usually it's it's either Barack or Michelle. They tend to be high on the list, either together or separate. Actually, somebody I forgot who I was talking to. This is last season, but they said the the triumvirate of Michelle, Oprah, and Beyonce. And I was okay. like, yeah, that would that okay. would be a, right, that's, that's, a that's a dope three. <laughs> that's dope, you can do all those three together too. Exactly, uh, exactly. But yeah, but no, that your list definitely is one because I know for me. I also enjoy Donny Hathaway's music, but I, I know nothing about his story. It's like, you know, I know the song. You turn the song, I'm going to know it. But like, I actually haven't gone back and actually looked into it. And for me, one of the things that, you know, I don't know if it's a if it's a, a New Year's resolution or if it's a, you know, I don't know what it is based on where I'm in life, but I've been spending a lot of time trying to go back and look at history and okay, okay. understanding, especially history before we were born, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of time we're spoon fed those periods of time. And, you know, no one's going to tell you something that's going to enlighten you or open your eyes to something they don't want you to see. And yeah. so I'm trying to like go back and, you know, you know, dig a little deeper and double click into stuff. And so I think, you know, some of the folks you named definitely have that history and go back and see what they persevered through to be able to be special in their own, own unique ways is, is important. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Cool. So is there anything I didn't ask that you want to share or anything you want to ask me? No, man. I mean, I, I, I feel like, I feel like we, we had, we, we covered a lot of stuff, man. And I, 
And I know, I know Matt's the, well, I know the old Matt story, you know what I'm saying? Matt's, <laughs> Matt's story might, the new Matt story might be brand new and, and, and uh, look, very removed from our, our sense of shenanigans. But, uh, <laughs> no, those, those were good. Those were some good days, man. It's, it's so interesting. Like I, 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 I often think about kind of, kind of our crew there in Cincinnati and, and just super fun memories. And I think for me, it was, Again, just because I was a young black dude straight out of undergrad, I knew not one single soul when I moved mm-hmm. to Cincinnati that lived in Cincinnati when I li- mm-hmm. when I moved there, right? And and I think it was just so so beautiful in the city that and and back then Cincinnati was it was kind of whack, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and what made what made what made that experience so rich is is like our crew and kind of the closeness of our crew and the fact that we kind of made our own fun and experiences. So, so yeah, that was, for me, like that was a, that I look back on that fondly. That was a rich time that like, we, we kind of made, we made our fun, man. And it's, it was, it was meaningful. It was meaningful. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, if I think back to, it was, it was the exact same thing. It's like you, you had the work experience, but we like, we had this whole family outside of it because we didn't have anyone else there and there wasn't anything to get into. So it's like, literally, it's like, we would find ways to be like, okay, you coming through this weekend, you picking up the bottle, like let's, let's, you know, and literally it was just being in the house. Like it wasn't even like we were out going around doing anything too crazy. We had the one club to go to, which, you know, we, we got tired of seeing each other and seeing other people that were just all in the same, same crew. But I, I think for me, as I left, because I moved to LA, which was a completely 180 degrees, I, I missed that connection to that to that crew because it was obviously formidable years for us in, in determining where we were going to do, how we were going to do it from a career standpoint, but also just having that that network of people you just know had your back regardless of you know what you were going through. So definitely look back on it on it fondly, even though it, you know it feels like it was a lot closer than it probably was as I think about the years. But definitely, it's been great to see everyone go off and kind of spread out in the country and all different sides of it doing, you know, great stuff. Exactly. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. Cool. So before we go, if anybody listening wants to, you know, find out more about you, they want to connect with you directly, where should I send them? I'm on, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. Ryan Robertson. Connect with me on IG at Real Ryan Rob. Those are the, the two major platforms. I'm not on Twitter, although I should be, but it just takes, <laughs> it takes too much to try to keep up and post and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. Those, are the, those, are the, those are the two places I would send them, bro. Cool, cool. Well, I'll include those links. And uh, again, appreciate you taking the time and being on the, being on the pod. Matt, thank you, man. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you today, bro. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of What's Your Story podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcasting platform, or you can follow me on any social media platform at Maddie Story, and I'll keep you updated on new episodes. Also, if you're interested in learning more about some of the things I'm up to, head over to mattestory.com and sign up for my newsletter. And lastly, do me a favor, share this with one other person in your network that you think might enjoy it. And don't forget to keep sharing your story.